Denise McNair, Carol Robertson, Addie Mae Collins, Cynthia Wesley. They lost their lives on September the 15th of 1963. These young ladies were preparing to sing at their church on a Sunday morning. And they were there before the service, back in the back, in the restroom, getting ready at the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. And before the services began that morning, a bomb exploded on the side of the building that was placed there by the Ku Klux Klan. And it killed these young ladies. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had delivered his famous I Have a Dream speech just a few weeks earlier. One of the girl's best friends named Carolyn McKinstry was just a few feet away when the bomb exploded. As a matter of fact, she had just spoken to the girls seconds before it went off. Earlier that summer, Carolyn had marched with Dr. King and she was part of the crowds that Bull Connor set German shepherds against and shot fire hoses into. And after this event, for years, Carolyn struggled with anger and with bitterness and with depression and alcoholism. Years later, she wrote a letter to God about her struggles. And she felt that the Lord was answering her, saying, Carolyn, I need you to tell people that this isn't about skin color. It's about love and about forgiveness. It's about reconciliation. I need you to be my messenger. They'll know I allowed you to live. I saved you so you could bear personal witness to my power to restore and to forgive and to draw people to me. Tell them about me. Tell them about Cynthia and Addie and Denise and Carol. Tell them that when they are reconciled to me, they can be reconciled to each other. And she knew that she had to do something that would be the hardest thing she could ever do. She needed to forgive these KKK members for what they had done that day. She writes, Jesus forgave the man who crucified him as well as the thief who hung beside him. And pondering that scripture, I came to understand that I too needed to forgive those who had hurt me and my family and friends. And once I forgave, the burden I had carried in my heart lifted. And today, Carolyn McKinstry inspires others to forgive when they think it's impossible to do so. The sermon at the 16th Street Baptist Church that day was to be from Luke chapter 23, verse 34, our passage of scripture today, which says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It was entitled, A Love That Forgives. Carolyn never heard that sermon that morning, but she's learned its lesson since then. And my prayer today is that we would learn this lesson as you stand in honor of the reading of God's word from Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 32. The word of God says this. Two others also who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. 
And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. Thank you, you may be seated today. We're going to challenge you to do the hardest thing that you will ever do. And that is to forgive. And as we study this passage of scripture, we learn that forgiveness is difficult. It's difficult. Everything in our flesh fights against the notion of forgiveness. I mean, we we naturally tend toward self-preservation and self-promotion. Forgiveness is contrary to selfishness. In forgiveness, we are putting ourselves second and others first. I mean, after all, we were the ones who were injured. We were the ones who were in the right. They deserve everything that they get for what they did. I I don't want to forgive them. I want them to suffer just like I did. I want them to hurt just like I did. But God calls us to something different and to something greater, but it's much more difficult. We see it modeled beautifully by Christ Jesus in our passage today. All of the jeering of the crowd is calling for Jesus to act in his own self-interests. In verse 35, they said, he saved others, let him save himself. If this is the Christ of God, his chosen one, and this, this jab from the onlookers is, is intended to wound the pride of Jesus. After all, if he, if he doesn't act to save himself here, they're not gonna believe that he is who he is, right? If, it, if he really is the Christ, if he really is the chosen one, then save yourself. In verse 37, if you are the king of the Jews, then save yourself. And so there's this temptation for Jesus to act in self-preservation, to act in selfishness. I mean, he could just forget about all of them and, and save himself. And why shouldn't he? I mean, after all, he didn't do anything wrong. Why is he on this cross to begin with? We're the ones who did wrong. We're the ones who sinned. We should be there on the cross, not Jesus. And so Jesus could just save himself and leave us out to dry. And we would get what we deserve and he would be safe. But what Jesus did was much more difficult. He hung there and he listened to their insults. He hung there and he endured their shame. It would have been much easier just to be angry. It's much easier to blame. It's much easier to to give them dirty looks. It's much easier to ignore them and act like they're not there. It's much more difficult to forgive. But that's what we find Jesus doing in our passage. And you better believe that forgiveness will be difficult for you as well. 
Because everything in your flesh doesn't want to let go of the offense. You might even have friends and family members that are giving you terrible advice and telling you not to forgive that person. And you might even believe that you can't do it, that you can't forgive. The great preacher D.L. Moody once said that the voice of sin is loud, but the voice of forgiveness is louder. That's what we see in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, where the church is called to bear with one another, forgive each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And you say, well, but you don't understand, Pastor. You, you just don't know everything that I've been through. You don't know how much it hurt. You don't know how many times it's happened to me. And I'd say you're right. I don't know your situation. But the one that's hanging on the cross in our passage, he does. He is God the Son, and and we have sinned against him not once, not twice, not three times, but an innumerable amount of times. And what does he do? Forgives. In fact, if you turn back to Luke chapter 17, he gives us an example of what he's asking us to do. Verses three and four, he says, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, then forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, then forgive him. You say, wait, forgiveness is difficult. It's difficult. But we also see in our passage that forgiveness is costly. Forgiveness is freely given, but it isn't free. It costs the one who forgives. Just look at our passage of scripture. What did it cost Jesus to forgive us? He left the comfort and the glory of heaven and he came to earth and he humbled himself and he put on flesh as a man and he dealt with all the temptations that you and I deal with and he endured all of the effects of sin in this world yet through it all he remained sinless and completely holy. But still, he was beaten and whipped, a crown of thorns shoved upon his head, and now he is hanging from a wooden cross with spikes through his hands and through his feet, and he's going to die to give his life as an offering for our sin. Think that forgiveness is costly? Absolutely it is. But in verse 34, Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing and in this this prayer from Jesus there on the cross he is willingly submitting himself to the penalty for our sin he says father I know the enormity of sin and I'm asking that you would forgive them and I am offering myself here on the cross as a substitute He's not trying to minimize the offense. We will do that sometimes when we think about forgiveness. We'll hastily say to the person, oh, I forgive you, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. But usually when someone forgives like that, they're not actually forgiving anything. They're just not dealing with it. 
they're ignoring it and hoping that it's going to go away because they don't want any sort of, of confrontation or awkwardness there. And it's easier to just sort of write someone out of your life than to do the hard work of reconciling. But to properly deal with sin and offense and properly deal with forgiveness, then there will be confrontation. I mean, because sin's a big deal, forgiveness is a big deal. And so it's not something that's, that's lightly just thrown about. And Jesus isn't just sort of lightly saying this. He's, he understands the, the enormity of what's happening here at this moment on the cross, but yet he still says, Father, forgive them. But he's also not keeping track of the sin either. Sometimes we'll do that. We'll tell someone that we forgive them, but we write it down in the back of our memory to bring back up at an opportune moment when we need a zinger in the argument. And we say we'll forgive, but we won't ever forget about it. The pastor, Henry Ward Beecher, once said, I can forgive, but I can't forget, is only another way of saying, I won't forgive. Forgiveness ought to be like a canceled note, torn in two and burned up so that it can never be shown against one. That's how the Bible describes it. In Psalm 103, verse 12, The Lord says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17, the Bible says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. This is how God deals with forgiveness. But to forgive like this is costly because it's not like the sin just vanished. It had to be paid for. Justice says you're going to pay for your sin. But forgiveness says Jesus will pay for your sin. Our our sins just didn't disappear. Jesus paid the debt for them on the cross. And justice says we deserve death because of our sin. But forgiveness says I will die for you and offer you life instead. You see, this idea of a, of a burned note is a good one. If you and I were to accrue a debt, the lender to us would have every right to come to you or to me and to say, it's time to collect because you owe it. You've, you've, you've taken on this debt and you owe the debt. But if that lender says to you, I'll forgive you of your debt, then you no longer owe the debt. You've been freed from the debt. But the money loaned to you didn't just disappear. It was, still, it was still given. The lender just ate the debt himself. He took the loss upon himself and set you free from the debt. And that's exactly what God did on the cross. He ate the debt for our sin and set us free from the debt through faith in Jesus Christ. And when you forgive someone, It'll cost you the same. When they hurt you, it doesn't just disappear. You just take it yourself in order to release the offender from debt. You see, forgiveness is costly. So we see how difficult it is, how costly it is. But thirdly, I want us to recognize in this passage that forgiveness is godly. 
Throughout the passage, Jesus is hanging on the cross. And he's experiencing all the, the torture of a Roman execution. And you find here the Jews and the Romans making all sort of heckles at Jesus, tempting him to circumvent God's plan of redemption and salvation by saving himself. And all the names that they're calling Jesus in jest are true of Jesus. In verse 38, there was a scription above him. This is the king of the Jews. In verse 35, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. In verse 35, he saved others. But here's the, here's the deal. He is God the Son, the Savior of the world. He is the Christ, the chosen one of God. He is the King of the Jews. And that's what makes this moment so unbelievable, is that he is the all-powerful creator, God of the universe. He is the Almighty One, and he could literally wipe the smiles off of their faces. There would be no retribution that he couldn't enact. He could bring down the full wrath of his anger against sin upon us. But instead, he sent his only begotten son to be the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Instead, he pours out his wrath upon the son. Paul describes it like this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin, to be sin on our behalf we might become the righteousness of God in him. Imagine all of the sins of your life. If you were standing here today, you've lost a little weight. But you're standing here today and all the sin of your life was piled up here. Maybe you're better than me. I got a pretty big pile going over here of all of my sin of my life. When Jesus died on the cross, he, he paid my debt for all, all that I had done wrong. He paid for that. But it wasn't just me, it was, it was all of us. It was everybody here that's part of this church and some of y'all are pretty bad and so this is a pretty big pile that's going on here of all of the sin, all of the, the shame, all the disobedience that we have committed against God, all the ways that we've broken his word and rebelled against him is a huge mound of sin. And Jesus, when he died on the cross, he paid for all of that. But it, it, it wasn't just us that, that Jesus died for on the cross. He, it was for everybody in the whole state of Florida, all 20 million of us. And so here is a, it's beginning to be quite a huge mound of sin that is amassing here that's all being placed upon Jesus on the cross. This enormous amount of sin for everybody in our entire state. But it wasn't just everybody in Florida. He paid, 
pay the debt for 319 million people that live in the United States of America, all of us. And so there's some places that are really bad, like the French Quarter and Las Vegas Strip and all these bad places of sin. And now you have this enormous amount of sin, of adultery and gossip and hatred and bigotry and lying and cheating and murder and theft and all of these things that are being piled upon Jesus on the cross. And it's beginning to be this enormous amount of sin. But it wasn't just the sin of the United States that Jesus died for. It's the sin of the entire world, all 7.4 billion of us. And so now we see that this mountain of sin has become insurmountable. It's this unfathomable uh, amount of sin that's coming from all corners of the earth that's being placed upon Jesus. And we can't even see the top of it, where it begins, where it ends. And it's all the evil and rebellion and idolatry and false worship of false gods, and all of this is being placed upon him. But it's not just the people of the world presently. It's everyone who's ever lived in the world at any time in history. And all of this is being placed upon Christ on the cross. But it's not just in the past. It's anyone who ever will live and all the sin that they're committing. And it's all being placed on him. Then he shed his blood. And the blood that Jesus shed on the cross of Calvary, that red crimson blood. It atones for all of the sin of all of the world. And what happens is he erased it. And he removed it as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers it no more. He says, let us reason together. Though your sin is like scarlet, it'll be whiter than snow. That it's red like crimson, it'll be like wool. And he removes this sin. He forgives us of our debt, and he washes us clean with his righteousness, and he makes us beautiful and holy and righteous before God. And this doesn't happen unless Jesus goes to the cross. You see, the plan of God was higher than the ways of the world. The the way of the world was for Jesus to look out for himself. It was for him to turn his back on those that had hurt him. But the plan of God was for him to serve and to give his life as a ransom. It was not to harbor anger or bitterness toward those who had hurt him, but to provide forgiveness to them. And in this completely selfless and loving act of Jesus, we see the very heart of God. Because forgiveness is godly. And when you and I forgive, we are being godly. In the end, it isn't even you. You don't have the authority or the power to erase sin like that. That's what the Pharisees were saying to Jesus in Luke chapter 5, verse 21. They said to him, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? You know what? They were right. They just didn't realize that Jesus was God. Only God can do that. But you are able to forgive those who sin against you as Christ works in you. 
And when you forgive, you are acting like Christ. When you fail to forgive, you're acting like the devil. Because the devil is the one who is the accuser. The devil is the one who is the adversary. But Christ is the one who is our advocate. Christ is the one who is our consolation and our peace. And he has called us to forgive others just like he forgave us. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32, he told the church to be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving each other. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And so forgiveness is godly. Now, there are some here this morning who need to receive this forgiveness that you just saw illustrated on the board just a few moments ago. You recognize that you still have that mound of sin that you've committed in your life. And it's not been erased. It's not been removed. It's not been forgiven. But here's the good news. That blood that Jesus shed on the cross can be applied into your heart this morning. If you would repent of your sin and trust in him as your Lord and Savior. That's good news. You can be erased. It can be removed from you as far as the east is from the west. God says he'll remember it no more, that he'll make you clean, that he'll make you righteous. And this morning, that can happen in your heart. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. I'm going to be standing right here at the front. And it's your chance to come make this decision. And it might be, someone that's, it might be a decision that you've thought about for some time. Maybe you've been mulling this over for months or even years. And you say, well, maybe another time or maybe some, some other excuse that you've given. But I want you to know that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day for you to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ and receive this forgiveness into your heart. Christians, this morning, we're being called to do the hardest thing you'll ever do. Forgive. To forgive. And some of you might be holding on to anger and bitterness from years and years ago. Somebody that you cared about hurt you or did something to you and you've been holding on to it and you've been letting it eat you up inside and you know it. You're angry and bitter. You know how you've tried hard to suppress it and to to bury it down deep, but it keeps bubbling up to the surface. It affects who you are. Affects the way that you treat other people, the relationships that you have, and most importantly, your relationship to God. This morning, you're going to be called to do the hardest thing you'll ever do forgive. To forgive. There might be somebody in this room you need to go to and say, I forgive you, or I need you to forgive me. You might even need to come to this altar and just say, God, thank you for the forgiveness that you've given to me in my life. I don't deserve it, but thank you for this forgiveness. Today, you need to let it go to forgive. And it's going to be difficult. It's going to be costly. It's going to be godly. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, we thank you today for your word. Lord, for our Savior who hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. Lord, I pray today that we would see that same forgiveness being expressed all across this sanctuary. People who are 
hurt, who are hurting, who have hurt others. Lord, we see forgiveness exchanged here today. People who have been harboring anger for a long time today would set it free through the blood of Jesus. God, we're thankful for a Savior who said, Father, forgive them. God, today we want to fall before you and say thank you. We can't say it enough. We love you for who you are, for what you've done on our behalf, for saying, Father, forgive him, forgive her. God, I pray for those across this sanctuary that have never made this decision in their heart to trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that today they wouldn't wait any longer, today they wouldn't hesitate, today they would put their heart and their faith and their trust in Jesus, his cross, his blood that he shed, his resurrection from the dead to be their life and their salvation, their hope. They'd give their heart and soul to follow after him. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.